I think I say this every single week, but I think it bears repeating. We are blessed to be able to worship, and we are blessed to have the kind of leadership in worship. So um, it seems like they keep multiplying the vocalist. And so I think uh, Luke is obviously well underrepresented. <laughs> and so if there are any others that would like to join Luke in helping balance um, that, uh, that vocal presentation. So I'm sure Luke would appreciate the help. And uh, so, uh, but just thank you for Greg and those that help um, lead us in worship every single Sunday morning. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning. And if you do, I want to invite you to go with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to continue in our study through the book of Joshua. We've been looking at um, the picture of what it means to be successful. Not just what it means to be successful as an individual, but what it means to be successful as a church. And what it means to be successful in the lives in which we live, the the times in which we live. Um, Hopefully you came in, you got a copy of this bulletin. On the back of that there'll be some notes. If you want to use that or reference that during our time together in the Word, they'll be up up behind me on the screen. It's just meant to be a tool as we study God's Word together to help us uh, solidify, concrete some of these principles that I think that we get out of God's Word and just something that we can take home with us as a way of trying to keep track and, and stay up with what we are looking at in God's Word. So as I said, we've been looking at this idea of success and what does it mean to be successful? And if we were to go around the room this morning, there would be a lots of different ideas and paradigms, if you will, of what it means to be successful. All the things the world talks about when it comes to success being money and possessions, academic achievements, worldly accomplishments, notoriety, fame, how many likes you get, how many follows you get, how many friends you have, how many retweets you have, how many, how many times you landed on the For You page, how many swipes to the right versus swipes to the left, all these things the world puts together in front of us saying this is what it means to be successful. Well, my goal has been, um, as we go through this book of Joshua, we're not going to go all the way through it, but as we've been going through it, to say, what does God call success? And what does God define as success? So we've been looking at several different keys to success. We started talking about God's word. We talked about action. And when God calls us that we act, that we move, we talked about listening. We've talked about following. We've talked about commitment. Even last week we were talking about being remembering and remembering what God has done. And that's a key to our success. And this morning we're going to look at another key that I want to give you that I think we get out of God's word when it comes to what it takes and what it means to be successful in the eyes of God. And the success, the key that we're going to focus on this morning, you see there above me, has to do with preparation. Preparation. Up in my study, there is on the shelf where I've got other pictures and other things that are keepsakes of mine, I have got one of those name plaques. Remember back in the days when guys or girls used to have their desk and they would have a name plate that would sit on their desk. So when you walked in to that office, it would say Mr. Hoobaloo or, or whatever his name was so you knew who you were addressing. Well, I've got one of those name plates and it's sitting on a shelf and the phrase that is written on there is not Pastor Spence, Brother Spence, Mr. Spence, 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 whatever you want to call it. It has this phrase and, you, and I put it there at the top of your notes. It's Amat Victoria Karam. In fact, that same phrase I was given as a gift one year for something special. I was given a, uh, a pen. And on this pen is inscribed the same phrase. Amat Victoria Karam. Now, I, I'm not a Latin scholar, so it was something that they said, this is what it means. So I hope this is what it means. But what it means, what, if you translate it into the English, the translation is simply, victory loves preparation. Victory 
loves preparation. And that has spoken to me for so long because whenever I think about ministry, and it doesn't have to do with just pastoral ministry, when we think about life, when we think about ministry, when we think about anything, victory loves preparation. And so the things that we are preparing for will be the things that we will be successful in. And so I put this phrase because I'm reminded of whether you are preparing for a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service, a Wednesday evening service, you're preparing for a wedding, for a funeral, for a baccalaureate. You're just preparing to know that someone can go up to you at any moment and say, hey, you're a preacher. I've got a question about this. And you can be prepared. How many times do you find yourself when you're in your daily quiet time and then the conversation about what you were doing in your daily quiet time comes up in the conversation in the near future after that? It's amazing how God can put things in your life to prepare you for a conversation, to prepare you for a moment, to prepare you for a question, and it's as if God is preparing you. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at how God was putting these steps of preparation into the life of the nation of Israel, using Joshua, using the people, talking about, emphasizing, pointing out the need for God's people to be prepared. So it's kind of an unusual passage, if you will. If you, if you have the kind of Bible that has the headings above the chapters, here in my Bible, uh, above the heading of the chapter in chapter 5, it says, A New Generation circumcised. Now, so there, there you can kind of say, well, how in the world does this show us principles, truths, keys of preparation and God's desire for us to be prepared? Well, we're going to walk through these uh, first uh, 12 verses, if you will, and we're going to walk through this and just look. I just want to point out to you two, uh, two areas that God wants. God wanted them, and I think by extension, God wants you and I today. He wants us to be prepared. Now I'm going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read the first couple of verses and we're going to back up and just kind of pick this apart. But if you remember the context of where we're at. The nation of Israel had already gone through the wilderness wandering. They had come to the brink of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is overflowing its banks. And God has said, I'm going to take you from the wilderness into the promised land. And they're like, great wind right now. How are you going to do this? Well, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, are they going to go? They're going to stand in the middle of the river. The river is going to stop. There's going to be dry ground. You're going to cross the river. You're going to enter into the promised land. And I'm going to enable you and empower you and equip you to conquer the land. So last week we were looking at this idea, the river crossing, if you will. They get across the river. They set up the, the 12 stones of remembrance and so now it tells us that they are now in the area known as Gilgal and so we pick it up here in chapter 5 and verse 1 and it says this as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel and at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Now I'm going to stop right there because I, I, I don't want us to move past this too quickly. You can imagine as all this nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River, God does a miraculous supernatural work allowing them to cross. They have all these men for war. They are ready to go in and conquer the land and they come into the land and you can imagine them being on a, a bit of a, a, a high point if you will. They're thinking, man, if God can do this, God can do anything. And you can imagine them coming in and saying, now we are ready for whatever lays before us. 1989, they had the centennial celebration of the statehood of Oklahoma. And to celebrate the statehood of Oklahoma, they did some reenactments of the land run. 
Now, I've seen land runs in movies. I wasn't there. Some of you, uh, some of you may have had a better, clearer description, but the original land run happened, and they had this imagery of everybody lined up at a starting line, and the firing gun going off, and people, wagons, horses, people on foot, people on bicycles, however their transportation was, going out trying to claim this land for themselves. And so they had all of these great soul students, and we were all dressed up in the attire of the era, like we're back in 1889, and we're all lined up there, and they have all this imaginary land that you're going to stake out, and they say go, and they and they sound the, the, the starting peel, the, the starting sound, if you will, and we all took off ready to stake our land. That's what I think of when they come into the nation of they come into the promised land. This whole nation of Israel, and they all come in, and they're excited, they are ready, and they're going, which is going to be mine? Which area is going to be mine? You can imagine them just ready to move out and to claim the land for themselves. But notice what God says in verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, make flint lives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. The first truth that I want to point you to, the first principle that I want to point you to, is that when God talks about preparation, oftentimes he talks about a physical preparation. A physical preparation. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time and dwell on it, but when you think about it, the question may come, well, what does he mean by circumcision? Well, it's a principle that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. God is making his covenant with Abraham, and he's telling Abraham that you're going to be the father of a great nation, and this is what is going to set you apart as a great nation. There will be a physical mark on the male body that will denote submission to God. Now, we don't need to go through all the details. In fact, what all takes place, I'll be happy to sit down with you and tell you and, and explain it to you. Or I can have Miss Jenna explain it to you. She's a lot more knowledgeable than I. But it is a physical mark on a male body that denotes submission to God. So what he's saying is, is Abraham, I am going to set you apart, not just by my covenant with you saying that you are now my chosen people, but everyone will know that you have been set apart because you bear the mark of God's authority in your life. So in other words, God was saying, I know that they were ready, but God wanted them to be prepared. So as they come into this promised land, God is looking at them and saying, no, 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 before you spread out like a bunch of ants, before you spread out and, and try to conquer the land, I want you to be prepared. And there's a principle for you and I today that is that you can be ready but not prepared. You can get up in the mornings and you can t put your hair up, you can put your face on, you can get your clothes, you can get dressed. You can travel to church and you can walk in these doors and you can be ready for church, but you can be far from being prepared for church. And there's a danger when we start thinking that our readiness is the same thing as preparation. And so these people are there and they had all the means to go in and conquer the land. They had all the, the personnel to go in and conquer the land, but God knew that they are ready, but God wanted them to be Prepared. He knew that there was something that they needed to do, a physical preparation, so they'd be prepared to do what God had in store for them. There's a pastor that, that, I, that I'm familiar with, and that every Saturday night he will put a picture on social media. And I think I've shared with this before, but he'll put a picture. And he'll have his Bible, and he'll have his wallet, and he'll have a set of keys, and he'll have his phone, and he'll say, I've got all this stuff, I'm ready for church. All this stuff is set aside, so I don't have to look for it in the morning. I don't go to find it in the morning. I know that all the stuff is prepared. I am ready for Sunday morning. I, I think I've mentioned to you before another pastor that talks about Sunday morning being a Saturday night decision. And how many times do we see ourselves not preparing for the things that God has put in front of us? 
Friday morning, I was catching a flight with Toby and Courtney, and we were headed up to Chicago, and I get up, and it's about 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, and <clears throat> I'm looking for this phone charger. And I know I have it, and I couldn't find it. So you know how you do. You spend 15, 20 minutes at the house. Of course, the baby's asleep and mama's asleep and you don't want to make a lot of noise. And I'm thinking, it's not here. So I even come by the church. And I figured Corey and Sarah would be like, somebody's robbing the church. We're going to go over there and we're calling the police. But it's like 5.15 in the morning and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm rummaging through the study and I'm thinking, this thing's got to be here someplace. And finally, I'm like, I, I can't wait any longer. I've got to get on the road. And so I just leave and I get down there and I'm sitting at the airport at the terminal gate ready to get on the plane as I open up my briefcase I was so worried about being ready that I wasn't prepared. And you know, there's something that God is coming in and God looks at them and he says there in verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So you may say, okay, so God knew that they were ready, but he wanted them to be prepared. So notice what he is telling them to do. He, and if you go back and you think about the history of the nation of Israel, the history of the, of the Jewish people coming up to this point, it explains what is going to be said here later on. So let me just pick it up in verse 3 and get down through what uh, is recorded here in Joshua. It says that Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, though all of the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children who he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now you may be reading that and you're like, what in the world is going on? Well, what he's referring to, he's referring to the history of the people. When they were in bondage for a period of over 400 years and when they were getting ready to leave that Egyptian bondage, God had all of the males, all that were appropriate age, all that were fitting, they were all to be circumcised. They came out of the Egyptian bondage. They come down to Mount Sinai. God gives them the law. They leave Mount Sinai. They go to the brink of the promised land. This is Numbers 12, 13, and 14. They go to the brink of the promised land and God says, all right, go ahead and go in and take it. They stop short and they say, the people rebel. They say, no, we're not going to go in and take it. And God says, fine. Well, the consequence is going to be that everybody of the age of 20 and up, all of you people that rebelled against me, you are now going to die over the course of the next 40 years. And I'm going to cause this whole nation of Israel to wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years while this entire previous generation dies out. So what we come to here in Joshua chapter 5 is this new generation had come through the wilderness, they're now to the bank of the promised land and into the promised land, passing the Jordan River. And God looks down at Joshua and says, Joshua, these people also need to be prepared the same way that I prepared the previous generation. This generation needs to be prepared. You may say, why is it such a big deal? Why does it matter so much? Why does God care so much? And I can honestly tell you, I do not know. But I told you here a couple weeks ago, there's a couple of principles that you always need to remember. There is a God and you're not him. And so it's one of those things that it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, it's inconsequential to me about why God did it or why it mattered to God. All I know is God said, this 
matters. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 14, you will read this. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God is making it very clear to Joshua. Joshua, before you go in and take the promised land, before you go in and move, you all need to be prepared. Or I put it there in your notes. God's call to prepare is a call to obey. Because God knew that this is going to be necessary. So he tells Joshua, Joshua, I want you to do this. This is what I want for the people to do. You look back up in verse 4 of chapter 5 and it says, this is the reason why Joshua circumcises. It gives us the, the justification. This is why it was such a big deal. Because God said to. You know, there's some things in our lives that you don't have to agree with. You don't have to like. You just have to be obedient. There are some things that it doesn't matter whether you fully understand it, why, whether it makes sense to you, or whether you really like it or not. You just, you're obedient. And we're living in a day and age that our children aren't being taught that. And it's not being modeled in our society, this idea that you're going to be obedient, not because you understand, not because you agree, not because you like it, but because you're told to. And I think there's a, I think there's a great responsibility that are upon us parents. Because see, God has entrusted us parents with the discipleship and the raising and the rearing of our children. And if we don't teach our children how to be obedient because mom and daddy said so, then how will we expect them to be obedient because God said so? And we're living in a day and age, there's a lot of parents out there that they are trying to negotiate with the children. They're trying to rationalize with the children. They try to placate the children. And I wonder, what do we expect them to do with God when they reach that age of accountability? I've got some family that when our boys were much smaller and I said do this and they'd say why and we'd do the finger. Rule number one was because daddy said so. Number two was because mama said so. Number three was keep mama happy. So when they would, something would come up and I would say, they'd say why? I would just hold up a finger. Either because I said so, because mama said so, or because we're keeping mama happy. Those are the three primary reasons why I want you to do what I'm asking you to do. And we had family that would look at me and go, you know what, you're just being a, a dictator. You're just being a totalitarian. You're just being overbearing, you know, fuddy-wuddy. And I would think at them, no, you don't understand. There's going to come a time that they're going to be reading God's word and God's word's going to say, thou shalt do this. And he's not going to give them an explanation. He's not going to give them a rationalization. The world is going to be all around them saying, that doesn't make sense. That's not contextual anymore. That doesn't apply anymore today. And they need to ask the question, am I going to do it? Because God said so. And so God comes in and he looks at Joshua and says, Joshua, I want you to make sure the people are prepared. And he knew that this idea of obedience was a means of their preparation. So God's call to prepare is a call to obey. But then you can imagine the people. <coughs> the people might have tried to do what you and I do so often today. Well, he told us to do ten things. We'll do eight out of the ten and he'll have to accept that. Oh, we're going to do partial obedience and that will be sufficient. I want to remind you, partial obedience is still disobedience. And so what does he say? He says, I want you to circumcise the people. Sometimes we forget to make the connection that obedience plus preparation is what brings us favor. The people had crossed the Jordan. The people were present there in Gilgal. The people had brought their families across. The people had uh, followed the leadership of God, the leadership of Joshua. They were following the steps of obedience. But Joshua and the people knew they needed more than just to be able to mark boxes off. They wanted the favor 
of God. Now, sometimes in our day and age, we start to uh, misunderstand what this favor idea means. Sometimes we talk about this name and acclaim it. Sometimes we think about this and we're always like, do this, I will get that. There was a there was a homeless woman on the subway Friday night and she was coming down asking for money and she made the statement, if you give me money, God will bless you in return. That's not what it says in my Bible. That, 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 that's not a truism that you look to. it. But sometimes we start to misunderstand what favor is. And the way I think of favor is God's blessing in my life. Unction, direction, guidance. It may not be always enjoyable. It may not always be comfortable. It may not be what I always enjoy. But God's favor in my life saying, Spence, I know what is best for you. You know, to get that favor, it's going to require not just obedience, but it's also going to require preparation. And so God comes in and he looks at Joshua and he says, All right, Joshua, there's a physical preparation that is necessary for my favor to be poured out upon you. So then you get down to verse 8 and notice what the Bible says. It says, So when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, <laughs> not just one clan, not just one tribe, not just those who volunteered, <laughs> whole nation, every male, of the appropriate age and of the appropriate standing, every single one of them. It says, when that was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So you imagine this imagery. They crossed the Jordan River. They spent 40 years waiting to get to this time. They spent 40 years dreaming about these days to come. They are sitting in the promised land. They can see the fruit of the land. They can see the lush. They can see the fields. They can see the valleys. They can see, they, they can see all the stuff that God had promised them right there before them. And you can imagine, they'd be like, all right, we're in a hurry now. Now we're impatient. Now we want to go, 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 go. And God says, wait. You need to be prepared. I don't know about you, but I get impatient. I struggle with the timing of God. Sometimes I'm not happy with God's timing. Sometimes I think, God, you need a little help. <laughs> and sometimes I think, well, you know, God really wants it for me, so I'm just going to help get, get this thing, I'm going to help get this ball rolling. And I want to remind you something this morning, and I think it comes straight out of the text. Preparation follows priority. <clears throat> Excuse me. Preparation follows priority. The priority that they were facing was obedience God. So what were they preparing for? They were preparing so they could be obedient to God. They were preparing for the things that God was calling them to do. So often, we come to church. And, and, I, and it reminded me of this because years ago, um, there was a man by the name of, uh, well, it doesn't really matter his name. He had a construction business down there in Wilson. He and his family went to the Church of Christ. We were on a job site one time and he was complaining to me about long-winded preachers. You don't even go to where I serve at. We don't even go to church together. Why are you complaining to me? Well, he's a big roper. And it came out in the conversation. They were having a roping that Sunday afternoon. And there were several families there in the church that were all going to go to the roping. And so they thought, well, you know, we're going to go to church. And then after church, we're going to go to this roping. But they knew the time would be short. And so they showed up at church 
Trucks, trailers, horses, tack, everything. Everything was ready to go. They come into the church and they're thinking, okay, as soon as we got here, we're all going to go to this roping. And so he sat there and he's sitting, they're sitting in the church and they're hoping maybe he's a short-winded guy today because they got someplace to be. And as they're sitting there and it continues to go on and on and on, he said they're looking at the families and they're like, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. Do we get up and go? Do we sit here and wait? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And all this concern about what was going to take place. And all that was what fueled him coming up to me, the following week, complaining to me about short about long-winded preachers. And I thought, well, what was it that you were really prepared to do that day? Were you coming to church because you were prepared to worship? Were you coming to church because you were prepared to submit yourself to God? Or were you coming to church to mark off a box because you had something else going? We do the same thing. Many of you will have a whole list of things that you plan on doing today. When I get out of church, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And I'm not saying anything bad with lists. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having things that you want to accomplish. But my question to you is, last night, were you preparing more for this moment or were you preparing more for this afternoon? Your preparation follows your priority. So notice here in the text of the language, here, this, this imagery that we're given here in Joshua chapter 5, the people didn't get down and start drawing out a plat map on how they were going to colonize the promised land. They didn't sit down and start saying, we're going to draw straws on who gets what's partial land. They didn't say, we're going to sit down and we're going to devise how we're going to break this thing up and who's going to get what. They didn't start sitting down and start getting engineering, architectural drawings of what they're going to build, how they're going to build. They sat down and said, we need to be prepared before God, before we are prepared to go in and do what God has given us to do. And sometimes we get those backwards, church. Sometimes we prepare for our lives and we don't prepare for God's life. And so this preparation follows priority. So right here in this text, God looks at Joshua and says, Joshua, I know that you all are ready, but you all first need to be prepared. So there was a physical preparation that was necessary. God wasn't done. So after the circumcision, <coughs> excuse me, after they had healed, and it said, uh, verse 9, God's, the Lord said to Joshua, I have rolled away the reproach from Egypt. So he says, okay. So the physical preparation is done, but then notice you get down to verse 10, it gives us the next piece of preparation. So the people of Israel, I'm starting in verse, t- verse 10, so the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the, on the plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, verse 12. And the manna ceased the day after they had ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So what I see out of this passage is God says there's not only a need to be physically prepared, but there's also a need to be spiritually prepared. A spiritual preparation that is taking place. What do you mean by a spiritual preparation that is taking place? Well, this takes us back to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, God is preparing the people to come out of that Egyptian bondage, come out of that slavery. He's going to then move them, as I already said, to Sinai, then to the promised land. And the night before they were to leave, Exodus chapter 12, he says, you're going to observe the Passover. And some scholars had made some connections because the Passover there in Exodus chapter 12 happened on the 10th day of the first month. If you go back and look in Joshua, the people came through the river of Jordan on the 10th day of the month. And they used some parallels there where God is delivering out of the Egyptian bondage to where God is delivering them out of the wilderness wandering. 
That however you want to look at it, the idea of the Passover was is that they were going to prepare the lamb in a different way than they normally do. They were going to consume it in a different way than they normally do. When they were to take of the Passover, they would be dressed, they'd have their staff in their hand, they'd be ready to go, and it was a time that God was saying, in all the busyness, and in all of the goings-on, in all of the stress and anxiety in your life, stop. And think about me. Stop. And look at me. Stop. And consider your heart before me. And I don't know about you. But sometimes we just need to stop. We just need to stop. We're anxious. We're worked up. We're scheduled to the very second. We don't have evenings off. We have no margin. We're tired. On Sunday morning, because we just worked ourselves to death, whether it's the ball field or whether it's around the house or whether it's at our hobbies or whether whatever it was, we just tore ourselves up on Saturday. We come in here on Sunday and we're just wore out. And then because we got to rest up because we know we got a full day this afternoon because this is the only time that we really have off to do what we need to do is Sunday afternoons because we've now packed our Saturdays with everything else. And it seems like we just go and go and we tell ourselves, well, next week it's going to slow down. Next year it's going to slow down. Next month it's going to slow down. And it doesn't slow down. At some point we just need to say, enough. A couple years ago, we were at Wolf Creek Pass up in Colorado, and we're coming down the Wolf Creek Pass. You have the lanes. I don't know exactly what they're called, the runway lanes or whatever it is, but the boys see it. And the idea is that you're coming down and, and you didn't go to Truck Driving 101 and you haven't listened to C.W. McCall's song. You'll sit there and you'll tear your brakes up in your truck and you'll have a runaway and you need some place to go in those hairpin turns and the song, it works out. But in real life, it's not usually the same scenario. And so they have these runoffs where if you have lost control of your semi, then you have this steep embankment. It's usually got gravel or something, but it's meant to slow you down. And so we're coming down through there and the boys are like daddy what is that and I'm trying to explain to them the whole physics the idea of what that is for and then we had this conversation about what it must be like to need to have to use one of those and how when you hit one of those you wonder if this thing's long enough you wonder if this thing if this thing's gonna work but it's one of those things that you get to the point in life that you're going too fast you're out of control danger is approaching and it's a way to get to safety and God has given us that in his word just have a quiet time with me. A time away from the notifications, a time away from the text messages, a time away from the alerts, a time away from the busyness of life. Have a time that you set aside with me to listen to me. A spiritual preparation. So Exodus chapter 12, when God is doing that, instituting the, the, the Passover meal, it's a means of marking God's deliverance. So you get here to Joshua chapter 5, and it's the same principle. When they come together there in verse 10, it says they kept the Passover. They are marking, they're remembering God's deliverance in their lives. And it's not just marking and say, this is what God has done for us, and this is how God is delivering us. But it's also signaling the people's submission. And the same, same thing is true today when we still observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We are sitting here and we are reflecting and we're observing and we're coming together to acknowledge what Christ has done for us. But then the other piece of the Lord's Supper is that we are signaling our submission to God. 
and that's what they're doing here in the Passover. It's this time of spiritual preparation. This time of them looking, listening, reminding themselves and saying, this is what God has done for us. This is what God expects of us. A time of renewing their spirits. Sometimes we get so busy in our daily lives, we become stale spiritually. We become dry emotionally. And that's one of the things when you go on the retreats or when you go to the camps or when you go to the other events. I mean, that's one of the things that you think, oh man, this is just so wonderful. This is so great. But you know why it's so great? Because you have renewed, you have invigorated that spiritual walk before God. And can I tell you a secret? It doesn't just happen at a retreat. It doesn't just happen in a camp. It happens when daily you're in intimate fellowship, communication with God. It doesn't have to be a one week a year type thing. It can be an everyday kind of thing. The problem is, is we leave camp and we go back to all the hustle and bustle and getting on that gerbil wheel if you will and the next thing you know we find ourselves dry and despondent and we go, what has happened? I need to go back to camp. You don't need to go back to camp. You need to go back to what you're doing with God while you're at camp. And sometimes we forget the spiritual preparation that is necessary. The spiritual preparation that you do because you know that God it's done, it, it has something for you to do and you want to be ready for what God has for you. When you get down there to verse 12, I'm quickly running out of time, but I want to point this to you, point out this to you there in verse 12. It says, And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. Now you and I may read that and go, okay, what's that big of a deal? The big deal is, is that for the last 40 years, that was all they ate. That was all they had. If you go back in your Bible and you look that when they start in the they start heading from Sinai, actually I think it happened before Sinai, but they were hungry, they were running. What are we going to have? Almost a million people. You can imagine the grocery bill was a little bit increased. It was a little bit of a grocery bill. They're like, what are we going to do? God's going to provide. So God started providing this Santa, this little uh, coriander seed, this little dry flake. Some people would call it by like some people. I've heard some preachers talk, preachers talk about it being frosted flakes every single morning out on the ground, just frosted flakes, frosted flakes, frosted flakes. I don't know exactly what it was. All I know is God is providing them food. And so for the last 40 years, this is what they ate. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Manna, manna, manna. All day long. Manna, manna, manna. I imagine they had boiled manna, boiled manna, uh, fried manna, poached manna, baked manna, seared manna, grilled manna. I imagine they had manna all the different ways you can have manna. It was always manna, 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 manna. When I first married into Jaylene's family, her grandparents loved yellow squash. And it was yellow squash, yellow squash, yellow squash. And I don't like squash. <laughs> but I can honestly tell you, I've had squash a lot of different ways. And all those ways, I still didn't like. <laughs> but it was like, all right, we had grilled squash for this morning. We need to have baked squash for this lunch. I said, it's still squash. It doesn't really matter. But that's what the people were doing. It was man, a man, a man, a man. All day long, man, a man, a man, a man. And any time they would think that God was going to do something else, you can go back and read the Bible. They get all upset saying, oh, what's God going to do now? Then you get down to verse 12, and notice, you and I pass it. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. And then notice what it says. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. I think it's telling what it doesn't say. The people didn't flip out. The people didn't fall apart. The people didn't go, oh, oh, woe is me. They didn't say, oh, the favor of God has left us. They, had, they didn't say, oh, we need to have a committee and, and do it ad hoc. We need to do a study into why the manna has ceased. They didn't just fall apart when everything they had known for the entirety of their life all of a sudden stopped. 
know about you, but I find myself asking the question, why? This is all they had done for all of his life. They had never seen it done a different way. We're talking about the new generation here. We're not talking about the generation that had the leeks and the cabbage and all the stuff in Egypt they were complaining about. Those are all gone. Croaked, dead, gone. Why? And this is what, this is from the book of Spence. I think it's because seeing what God sees requires preparation. When they had prepared themselves physically, and they had prepared themselves spiritually, then they were willing and prepared to follow whichever direction God had led them because they were right before God. I have said in those church meetings before, this side over here wants to change the color of the carpet. This side over here doesn't like the change of the color of carpet. And both sides will say, well, this is what I think, and this is what I think, and this is what I think. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a person's opinion, but very rarely do you hear, this is what God wants us to do. Oh yeah? How do you know that's what God wants us to do? Because I have fasted, and I have prayed, and I believe with all my heart, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and I have sought the face of God, and God has spoken to me, and I have complete peace, to the point that when God brings uniformity and unanimity through His Spirit, and everybody's like, yeah, we agree with him. He's the most godly guy in the room. Yeah, we trust him. But you don't hear that. I think, I think, I think, I think. I like your thoughts. But are your thoughts God thoughts? That comes out of Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These people had prepared themselves spiritually. They had prepared themselves physically. So they were not flipping out. They were not losing their mind. Their world was not coming to an end when the manna stopped because they were on cue with God. And I think how many times we have missed out on some of the blessings of God because we weren't prepared spiritually or physically for the direction that God was taking us in. <clears throat> so as they come into the promised land, you notice this whole passage hasn't talked anything about who they're going to beat up on, hasn't talked anything about how they're going to destroy Jericho, hasn't talked anything about what land is going to get who, hasn't talked about any of that stuff. It's all being God saying, listen, if you're going to be successful in this new land that I'm bringing you to, it's going to require preparation. And when you come in, how do you need to prepare? You need to be prepared physically and you need to be prepared spiritually. So I think that prompts a question in our lives today on how are we prepared. I put down there three different ways that I would encourage you to consider preparation in your life. The first one is this. See where God has you. See where God has you. Do you ever look around and see the people that God has brought to this community? People after people after people. And I realize that you don't know everybody and I realize that you don't understand every single person and I, and I realize that some of these things doesn't make sense to you. But do you ever look around and say, God, look at all the people that you have brought to Wellston. The diversities. 
the different giftings, all the things that you have brought here. God, I want to see what you see. I want to see the lostness. I want to see the brokenness. I want to see the needs. I want to see the, the, the opportunities to minister. I want to see the places that you are opening doors for us to go through. I want to see the opportunities to love you and to love others. I want to see the opportunities to serve. I want to see the opportunities to shine. I want to see the opportunities to give and to go and to be a part of what you're doing right here in this community. God, I want to see what you see. You think to Elisha, and he's got a servant there. What is it, 2 Kings 16, 17, somewhere in there? And Elisha's servant, all he sees is the enemy. All he sees is the enemy circled all around them. And as Elisha is sitting there, and I, and I didn't look it up, but Elisha is sitting there, and he's praying. And as the servant comes in, he goes like, boss, 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 it's all going bad, it's all going bad, we're in trouble. That's my part. That's, that's, that's the way I read it. Well, sometimes in the quiet time, you got to have a little bit of a, I mean, you got to liven it up. Sometimes it can get a little boring if you're the, 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 the big ass, the begots, the big goots. So as he sits there, and it says Elisha is praying, and Elisha hears the guy, he's just losing his mind. And so what does Elisha do? Elisha prays and says, God, would you open his eyes? And then that serpent goes up, and what does he see? He sees the flaming cherries. He sees the angelic being. He sees the spiritual realm that is on the side of God all around him. And he's like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> I'm good. Because he saw what God saw. You know, sometimes we come to church and all we see is empty chairs. All we see is people that don't look like us. All we see people that don't act like us. All we see is people that come in and we say, I know what they're doing. I know what they do. I know what they think about. I know what they post on Facebook. I know what side politically they're on. I know which side they're on on this whole COVID debate. I know this and this and this. And we don't see what God sees. A soul that needs Jesus. A heart that needs faithfulness. And a people that need to see and feel the love of Jesus. Church, let's see. Let's see where God has us. Not just that, but examine yourself. The people coming to the promise saying, no doubt, they knew where God had them. They could see, this is where God had it. But God, before he ever let them move outside of the walls, he said, you need to first examine yourself inside of the walls. And so there's a certain element of examine yourself. You need to ask yourselves the question, am I prepared for what God is calling me to do? Some of you, God may be wanting you to teach, to serve in this church. And if I was to come up to you, you would say, oh no, I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. What if God wants you to be a teacher? Well, I just don't know what to say. Well then prepare, get ready, learn, grow, study, practice, be under the teaching of someone else. Step out of your comfort zone. Be prepared for what God has for you to do. Examine yourself. See where you need to grow. See where you need to learn. See where you need to develop. Understand that God has called disciples to make disciples. And if you're not making disciples, you're not being obedient. Well, I don't know how to make disciples. That's why you learn. That's why you, that's why you study. That's why you practice. But it takes a matter of examining yourself. Are you prepared physically? Are you prepared spiritually? Are you ready so when God opens the door, you're ready to go through the door? Examine yourself. And this last one, we're done. Prepare for the work God is calling you to. Prepare. For the work that God is calling you to. I believe that God's calling is different. I don't think God's calling is universal. God doesn't have all of us to come up and lead and worship like he's called Greg. 
He hasn't called every single one of us to stand behind a pulpit and teach and exposit God's word. He hasn't called every single one of us to teach at a Sunday school. He hasn't called every single one of us to work in the nursery. He hasn't called every single one of us to come in, take out the trash, clean toilets, scrub floors. He hasn't called every single one of us to do that individually. But you know what? He has called every single one of us in this room to serve every single one of us to serve. And you may say, well, Spence, what does that mean? Where do I serve? Well, first start asking, you can ask the question, God, where do you want me to serve? And then the second question can be, where is an opportunity to serve? And yet, so many times, we have people show up on a Sunday, and I don't mean to be rude, but they show up doing this. I'm here to take. I'm here to receive. I'm here to get. And you know there's nothing wrong with showing up and doing that. But in every time someone does that, someone else has to be doing this. And I'm telling you, honestly, some Sundays I show up and I need you. Because there's going to be some Sundays you show up that you need me. That's a give and take that God works in our lives. But we need to be prepared for the work that God is calling us so you get there at the, uh, the last part of that section there uh, in verse 12. And what is, the, what is the scene that is closing at the, if you think about the curtain closing on this passage. God has called Joshua and said, I want to make sure the people are physically prepared. I want to make sure they're spiritually prepared. Because the work, the things that I have called them to, they need to be ready for. But it starts with preparation. So if we're going to be successful as a church, if you're going to be successful as an individual, what's your preparation look like? What are you getting ready for? Your preparation follows your priority. Would you bow your heads with me?